Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. If you are a part of our Lighthouse Church family, we would love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Church NC or online at lighthousechurchnc.org. We want to get you plugged into a connect group or on the dream team so that you are doing life together with people just like you. We hope you enjoyed today's message and stay tuned for more announcements at the end of our podcast. I want to go to the book of James chapter one and we're going to read a couple of verses there and then we're going to unpack the fourth part of our Dream Again series, this message today. James chapter one, verses two through four. I'm going to read this through the New Living Translation. Get there on your Bible app, on your Bibles, and we're going to get those scriptures up on the screen. And it says as follows, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Can you say great joy? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Man, that's a passage of scripture, isn't it? When your endurance is fully developed. I'm an endurance athlete, although I probably looked more like it in September than I do now in May. Um, but I blame it on you all because I decided to plant a church. And so the exercises are slimming out, but we're getting there, all right? But um, I, I love these verses when it talks about endurance because I, I know about endurance. I know what it's like to ride my bike for over 100 miles. I know what it's like to run a marathon. I know what it's like to do these crazy endurance exercises that really needs for you to run at a pace that's sustainable to get to the end. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how does our faith grow and how does our endurance grow when we're in the desert. So today our sermon is the deal with the desert. As we talked about in the previous few weeks, we've talked about Moses, and he's been really the focal point about how God first called Moses. The first thing we talked about is you have got to know that God has given you a big dream. The second thing we talked about is once you know that God has given you a big dream, don't talk yourself out of it. How many of you can be your own worst critic in your own mind, right? We do that. And then the third week we talked about how do you overcome the opposition in your life that comes from other people? Because haters are real. Amen? And so how do we overcome haters and how do we overcome the opposition in our life? For those of you that are just joining us, if you want to catch up with us, we have a podcast now on iTunes, it's on Spotify, it's on SoundCloud, it's even on the website. So if you want to catch up with where we are, you can do that. But today, as I talked about last week, we're going to start to transition away from Moses, who's been our focal point. But Moses is not the story. He is a part of, he is a part of the story, okay? But he is not the story. He is part of the story. And so today what we want to talk about is how Israel is now left Egypt, they've, they've moved on from Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land. So as we learn, Moses said yes to God. And, and thank God that he said yes, amen? How many of you have already said yes to God in your lives? Come on, where are my followers of Jesus up in this place? All right, yes to God. So he goes into Egypt, he does the magic show, eventually Israel is free to leave, and they cross the Red Sea, and now they find themselves in a desert. I want you to say a desert. Because the reality is, and the first thing that I want you to write down is, between your dream and your promised land lies a desert. Between your dream, 
what God wants to do through you and your promised land when you're actually doing the thing that God has called you to do is a desert. It is a desert. Now, the desert was a literal place for Israel, but it's a figurative place for us. So while Israel had to go through a literal desert, we go through figurative deserts in our lives. So let's talk about the literal desert. Israel was out of Egypt, and they were on their way to the land God promised them. But we read that they spent 40, everybody say 40. 40 years in the desert, y'all. This is not like that nasty stretch between Barstow and Las Vegas. I don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, been on the 15 when you've gone from Barstow to Vegas, right? Where you got to stop at that Del Taco at Barstow because that's the last place to good, good place to eat before you get to up in Nevada, right? So it's not that nasty stretch. We, we know what it's like to go through from Barstow to Vegas. This was a 40-year process, and it was a very long journey, but it was necessary in order to prepare them for where God was taking them. There was no way that they could get into the promised land and occupy the promised land the way God needed for them to occupy the promised land if they did not get through this desert. It was a literal desert. But a figurative desert in your life is the place between the excitement of the dream and the place when you actually arrive. How many know that dreams are exciting? They are. I mean, it's like when, when you... My, my wife talked about this a few weeks ago for Mother's Day. She talked about mom dreams, right? It's like for some of you ladies, when the, 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 the thought of being pregnant was like, oh, the bassinet, the stroller, I mean, all the cool things, and, uh, and there's all kinds of cool things. And, uh, and then, you know, you're, you, you, you have this dream, and then the baby shows up, right? And then you've lost your sleep, right? You've lost your sanity. You don't know what quiet time is anymore. How many parents can give me a good amen in this room? Alright, so there's this place where between you have this dream and when you get to this place where you've actually arrived. Everybody say between. between. And, and I think about this so much right now, this part of the year, because right around May and June we start celebrating all of the graduates. Let's give our hands for all the graduates that are coming up on either college. Or, anybody graduating from college or graduating hands? Any college graduates? All right, thank you, brother, right there. Please keep talking. All right, so we applaud the graduates, uh, and we honor the graduates. Anyone have a college degree, be it two, four, six, eight, ten, whatever, how many years you've been in there? Yeah, all right. Any college graduates in the room? Okay, all right. So you know what I'm going to talk about in just a moment, because the, 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 we don't celebrate someone who enrolls in college, right? That would be silly to give them the lay, to give them the tassel, to throw them a big old party. They enrolled. They enrolled. I mean, it don't take a ton to enroll, right? Now, granted, if you get accepted to various places, there's a little more to celebrate. But still, enrolling in college isn't the time to celebrate, is it? Enrolling in college is just the start of that thing. If you had a dream to get a college degree, we, yeah, we, we applaud the fact that you've been accepted and you've enrolled, but the party doesn't happen until the end of the four years, or five years, or six years, however long it takes. You don't get to celebrate and toss the hat up into the air until you reach the place of graduation. It would be a weird thing if we started putting lays on people that just started enrolling, right? Just put a lay on them celebrate them, throw them a party. We don't celebrate when people enroll. We celebrate when people finish. When people finish the thing, then we celebrate them, and that's when we begin to throw them the party and do all of that stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so 
Finishing shows to the world that I can start, I can finish what I actually started. You want to know what I'm never impressed with? Potential. People are always like, oh, he's got so much potential. I've met a lot of people who are lazy with a lot of potential. I've met some people that can sing incredibly, but they can't ever show up to rehearsal on time. Or if they do show up, they didn't practice. You guys know what I'm talking about? And it doesn't matter how good your potential is. I'm not celebrating people who start. I celebrate people who finish. There's a big difference between starting something and finishing something. And I don't care how long it takes you to finish. We applaud those who finish. Not just those who start the race, but the people who are going to finish when they start. This is what I tell people when, who get who enroll in college and they go on to get their four-year degree. And for some people, you pick a major and then you go pick another major and then you go pick another major and then you go pick another major. And, and that's all fine. Whatever it takes to get there, just know that from my lens, and for those of you that know my story, I spent 10 years working in a corporate environment before I left all that and come back to the church. And one of the things that they had me do working in a corporate environment was I was the designated guy that would onboard all of the new employees. Because my boss figured, well, you're 30 years old, and my boss was just about to retire, so it's like, you kind of get it with the younger generation, so why don't you be in charge of helping them acclimate and helping them get used to this and, and bringing them on board? And so, you know, I, I'd meet so many of them, and I'd always be amazed at the varying degrees that people would have. And I realized that what most hiring managers are looking for, most, not all, but what most hiring managers were looking for was to see that you could finish what you started. That you could just finish what you started. That you knew what it was like to stay up late, writing those papers, studying all night. How many pulled all-nighters in college? Where are my college all-nighters? Yeah. How many put a book underneath your pillow because you thought by osmosis the information will get into your brain? Ruthie did it. I knew there was going to be at least one. I did that once in Bible college. That's real bad when you do that in Bible college. <laughs> put the Bible under my pillow. I was like, Lord, put it in my head. <laughs> but if you think about it, we celebrate them because we realize all the hard work that it took for them to get that degree. It doesn't matter if that degree is in psychology or, 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 or philosophy. Whatever that degree is in, it shows that they could get the job done. And we celebrate them. But we realize that that process is a long process. How many college students can give me a good amen? How many of you have to put in a lot of work to get to the graduation ceremony? They don't let you in. I mean, you actually have to start passing classes, right? I mean, I was talking to someone about graduate graduate school, and, and, if, and for those of you who've been to graduate schools, you're not allowed to get a C in graduate school. Yeah, I know D's get degrees like in high school, but I mean, but not in, not not when you get to graduate work. I mean, it's got to be, it has to be a B, or you take that class again. I mean, know what I'm talking about. And so it gets really, really hard. I know some of you like it gets a little more rigid, and that's a good thing, right? Don't you want, don't you want to, you're, you're, you would like for your doctor to pass his classes with A's, right? Not with, the, not like, hey man, I barely made it through. You're like, I want another doctor. And so um, we celebrate because we know what it, all the effort that it took for them to get through that. I was just having this conversation. Um, we had a board meeting for our church, the, the board meeting, you know, that you get all the business thinkers in the room and we we're talking about the future of Lighthouse Church and we couldn't help but kind of do a little roll call. And I was like, thanking God for our board because we had like, like, you know, our pastor's got his master's in international taxation and, and then Pastor Joe with a master's of psychology and, and everyone like had to, and it was just, we didn't like, we weren't trying to posture that. But somehow we just kind of got in this conversation.
conversation and we looked around and we're like, my God, we got a pretty educated board. And I thought to myself, that's a pretty cool thing. We got a lot of guys that are very accomplished. But what it speaks to is finishing what you start. It speaks to getting the job done. There's nothing like a husband that gets the job done. Right, wives in the house? Come on, I'm giving you some, ladies. Because how many men are great at starting a project around the house? I'm good at that. I, how many of y'all got some like unfinished projects? Come on, where the dudes at? Yeah, we start. But when you put, when you finally finish it, your wife will applaud you, right? I mean, I know my wife does. I think she learned the hard way. They said it's just about time, and it's like I'll never finish anything around this house. But if she like applauded me, I mean, I come into the room like macho man, like I just accomplished something. All I did was fix the screen door. You know what I mean? I'm like, baby, I fixed the screen door. I'm flexing. But it's finishing what you start. And, 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 and however long that process is, is the figurative desert, but you don't get to celebrate unless you finish the between. Everybody say between. You've got to finish the between. If you don't finish the between, you'll never get to the place that God has called you to. We celebrate dreams, but you can stay there and never get anything done with your life. I've met so many young people talk about, I've got a calling in my life. And I celebrate that, and I honor them. But in the back of my mind, I know that the Bible says many are called, but few are. All right? So just because you've been called, man, I ain't going to, you know, you're not exactly promoted to Jesus' first cousin just yet, just because you've got a calling, all right? You've got to work that thing out. And that, pro that process of working out that calling or working out that dream is your figurative desert. It's the process between where God first put that thought in your mind where God first gave you that dream and you actually accomplished that thing. It's that between space and it is a grind. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Because if it's, how many know that anything worth accomplishing typically has a grind portion to it? It's a grind. I mean to get to, let's talk about this church for a moment. To get to launch day was a grind, but you had to go through the process. And if you go through the process well, you can launch well. But if you don't go through the process well, if you're lazy, first and foremost, you're not having conversations with God, having conversations with people in your community, having conversations with people about being a part of the church, you'll never get to this place of seeing it launched well. You've got to get through that between place. Whether you like it or not, we all have a desert that we have to walk through. We have a desert that we have to walk through. And, and in seasons and in where you are in life, there are different deserts that you go through. Right now, my wife and I, we talk about how, you know, we, can I just be real with you all? Yeah. Parenting stuff? Parenting stuff, okay? For all the high school kids, you have a party just a moment, all right? Just forget this image. What's a great day when you don't have to wipe any more bottoms? Can any parents give me a good amen? Amen. Yes. It is a great day when you no longer have to take your son to the bathroom and then tell him to bend over so you can clean him. Because you know if you let him clean himself, it's like, God, no. No, I'd rather do it than deal with the aftermath. Can I get a good amen, mom and dad? <laughs> so sometimes your in-between season is like, I cannot wait till this kid can grow up and wipe himself. But then you realize you're on to the next. Because then it's like, you know, then, they got, then they're like holding up the talk and they got an opinion. They want to tell you what to do. Then you finally get that all figured out. I'm getting really close to that sweet spot with my son, Jaden. I've, I've been told about that fifth and eighth grade sweet spot. It's like a, you know, just before you get to high school, that ninth grade, then you got to, then it all, it all just unravels. So. But there's seasons, right? They're this in-between space. 
You gotta survive these in-between spaces in your life, and you have to have the right attitude about these in-between seasons in your life. Where God has given you a dream to go and do something, you've gotta survive that season before you get on to the next place. So one of the things that happens, and the second thing that I want you to write down is this season, this desert place, the desert grows your faith. So let's go back to the spiritual. In the spiritual, the desert grows your faith. When God has called you to accomplish this really big dream, and you're now launching out, but you're in this process of, wait a second, I, I really wanted to be here. God showed me a vision of here, but I'm in this desert. And I thought I'd get here really, really quick, but I'm not there just yet. Why is that, Pastor Josh? Because in the desert is where God is going to grow your faith. That place between where he calls you and when you walk into the promised land, the desert is an invitation to grow up. That's a good one to write down too. The desert is an invitation to grow up. Think about that for a second. If I were to take you back to a different Bible story, and I don't have time to unpack all of it, if you think about the young man named Joseph, who also was a dreamer and who had a dream, once he had a dream, what did he do? He went about spouting out telling everyone his dream. I mean, he couldn't stop putting, I mean, I mean, if there was Instagram, this guy would have been all over it. I mean, Joseph, as much as he did a lot of things right, this guy would not shut up about the calling that he had on his life. And he got in trouble over it. He was like, y'all are going to bow down to me. I mean, he went to his mom and dad and said, God show me you're going to bow down. I mean, you know, that would happen in my house. You know what I'm saying? A shoe would have come off, a spoon, something. Um, but like, that's the way Joseph went to his mom and dad. And it's, it's no wonder Joseph had to go through everything he had to go through. He had to grow up. He had to mature. This joker went around running, telling people everything that God was whispering to him. Sometimes the things that God whispers to you aren't meant to be shouted to the world. The things that God whispers to you in a prayer closet aren't always meant to be shouted to your cousins and put on Instagram. Do it for the gram. I mean, no, don't do it for the gram. That's something God whispered to you. And so the desert place is a place where God invites us to grow up. Now, as they got into the desert place, Israel is now out of Egypt. And, and, and so if you know some more of the story, there are 12 tribes of Israel. Israel is a nation, but before it was a nation, it was a person. It was a guy by the name of Jacob, who God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel had 12, Israel had 12 kids, apparently no television. And so he had 12 kids, you'll get it later. And um, each one of them became a tribe. So he had 12 tribes. And so when they got into the promised land, God told Moses, I want you to pick out one man from each of the 12 tribes, and they're going to go look at the promised land and come back with the report. And there were two men, Joshua and Caleb. They were the only ones that went into the promised land, came back and said, it's all, let's go take the promised land. Ten of the other spies that went, they pumped out. They came back, they're like, there's giants over there. We are small compared to them. They said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. It's crazy. You know, Joshua and Caleb, they came back. The Bible says they came back with like all kinds of fruit from the land. It was like they went to the farmer's market and they came back showing all the goods. They were like, look, look. It reminds me of my wife when she goes shopping. I said, look what I got. Look what I got here. And then that's how they came back. To, look, I got this. And look, I got that. And, and they're trying to motivate everyone. But Israel's faith had not grown. And so God said, if you ain't ready for what's next, then you're going to stay right here in the desert and you're going to keep on wandering until you are ready to get to the place that I've called you to get to. 
And so the desert is God's invitation for our faith to grow. God literally put the entire nation on a 40-year timeout so they can get their faith together. 40 years! Come on, y'all, that's a really long time. I ain't even been on this planet for that long. 40 years they were in the wilderness waiting. But there's something that you can learn through the desert. And there was something that Israel learned in the desert. You see, when they were in the desert for the period of 40 years, the Bible says that whenever they would get thirsty, God would supply them water. Yes, water in a desert. And you want to know how God supplied the water? It came from a rock. I know that sounds really weird. Go read your Bible. It's in. I promise you. It's in. All right. But whenever the Israel nation was thirsty, the Bible said Moses, the leader, would get his staff and he struck a rock and out came water. Why do you think God did that? Because their problem was faith. So what God showed them is, let me show you how I can do a possible thing out of an impossible thing so I can get your faith to grow. But think about that for a second. If you had any doubt as the power of God, right? If you were wondering, is this God real and water starts coming out of a rock? Well, how many of you would be like convinced? So I'm good. You know what I mean? But, but that wasn't enough. That happened and they were still wondering like, you know, is this guy real? And so then they started complaining to Moses. They were like, you know, we're really hungry. We don't got no food. Where's the food going to come from? After 40 years, we're going to eat all the food on this land. And then what are we going to do? So God started to have manna come up out of the ground. And manna was like this weird form of bread. And manna literally means, if you were to go look at the definition of that word, if you were to trace the etymology of it, manna literally means what is it? I mean, what they were eating, I, the best way I could describe it for all the military people here, it was an MRE, okay? I, good, I got a few people that understand what I'm talking about. Manna was like eating an MRE. MRE is an acronym for meals ready to eat, and it's like this. It's like eating a power bar. It's like this power, and it's like it's like a brick, y'all. And, and it's this weird flavors. My brothers gave me some MREs because they're both in the service, and they bring some stuff home. And it's the most disgusting thing ever. Can I get a good amen from anyone that's ever eaten an MRE? And they put like weird flavors in the package. This is a cheeseburger flavored MR. I'm like, no, I want a real cheeseburger. Don't give me a brick that tastes like a cheeseburger. Like, I want a real cheeseburger. Anyway, that's an MRE. That's kind of what manna was. Manna would just show up. They would come out of their tents in the morning and there'd be bread on the ground. And it was God's supernatural way of providing for them. Why did God do that? Again, why did God do something so crazy like that? To grow their faith. Because again, we got water coming out of rocks. Bread coming up out of the ground, and that still wasn't enough for them. And so then, you know what they you know what they decided to do? They decided to complain to God. They said, "God, we're sick of eating manna." So God's like, "Fine, I'm gonna start letting quail drop from the sky." And so they wake up in the morning, all the quail, all right, the birds flying would just be dead on the ground. And so every single day, this is how God would feed them: birds would fall from the air, bread would come out of the ground, and water would come out of the rock. <laughs> And God did all this to grow their faith. God did all this because they couldn't appreciate what they did. The, the big thing is they really could not appreciate God for who he was. And I believe what happened was all those years spent in Egypt and all those years in captivity, they forgot how big their God was. So when God was making water come out of a rock and birds fall out of the sky and bread come out of the ground, God was like straight flexing. He's like, look what I can do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he would, it was always these really demonstrative ways that God would show up, but he did this because he was trying to teach them faith. 
And you will go through some desert experiences in your life where things aren't going to go the way that you thought they would go. And God does this because he's trying to teach you faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. He's trying to prepare you for what's next. You see, the desert is not punishment. The desert is actually preparation. Everybody say preparation. preparation. The desert is not punishment. The desert is actually preparation. God loves you so much and God cares for you so much. He's not going to put you in a place where you are unable to stand. Remember I shared with you all, um, for those of you that are here and you're new, you hear this story for the first time, but I've shared this with our team. I'm 38 years old, and in my 20s, I saw a lot of my friends launch churches. And uh, I, I was waiting for it to be my turn. I was like, what's up, God? I got better grades than him. How come he's got... I mean, we went to the same Bible college. How come he's already got a church? I mean, he was copying from me. Don't you think I should have a church now, you know? And so I was one of those internal struggles, because I'm like, you know, I want to get... I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine. I was like, man, I know God has called me to plant a church. I just don't know when. And I'm like, God, please don't make this happen when I'm 50. You know, and I'm 30 right now. I got some energy. I got some youth on my side. But, you know, I am getting closer to 40. So what is going to happen, God? The truth is, that time where I was not doing this was because God was preparing me for this. And I didn't get to a place where I had to accept that had God put me in this position 10 years ago, it would have killed me. Because I wasn't prepared to handle the weight, the responsibility, and what God would do. Matter of fact, 10 years ago, I didn't know how to do any of this. Some of you are like, is this really a nine-week-old church? Yes, we are a nine-week-old church. And we're able to do what we're able to do by the grace of God. Because for the last 15 or so years, God was preparing me for this moment. And if I would have aborted the process and tried to do things my way and tried to speed up the preparation, I would not be ready for this platform today. And you would not have gotten the best version of Pastor Josh that you could have received. And so I had to sit and wait. Another thing that you can write down, transformation happens in the desert. Transformation happens in the desert. Step two of why we exist as a church. There's four things, four things that are part of our mission. We want to know God. We want you to find freedom. We want you to discover your purpose. And we want you to make a difference. Step two is find freedom. Find freedom. What does that even mean? What does that have to do with this? The Israel nation was out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of them. You can get out of Egypt and Egypt still be on the inside of you. You can come out of a lifestyle of sin, but yet sin is still on the inside of you. And so you have got to work this stuff out. You don't get to just occupy a place because God has called you to occupy a place. God brought you out of a lifestyle of sin, but you need to find freedom from those things. You have got to get free from all of the mess. And so the desert transforms you for what God is getting ready to do through you. Israel could not occupy the promised land because when they got there, 10 guys came back and they still had a slave mentality. They saw the land, and only two came back and said, we got this. We can take it. And there was ten that said, I don't know, man. They're kind of big. We're kind of small. I don't know if we can do this. Who you are when you begin the desert is not who you are at the other end of the desert. When it's done the way it's supposed to be. And I'm preaching to you that are in the process right now. If you can learn to embrace this season for what it is. You will grow in ways that you could never even imagine. Because who you are entering that desert, experience, that desert experience is not who you're going to be on the other side of that. 
if you can have faith for that process and stay in that process. Do you want to know why God had to wait 40 years in order for the Israel nation to get into the promised land? There's many reasons, but one of them is, is the slave-born generation had to die so that a desert-tested generation could grow up and prepare for what was ahead of them in the land that God promised them. See, when they went into the desert, the only thing they knew how to do was make things out of brick and mud. That's all they did in slavery. All they knew how to do was make things out of brick and mud. But what they learned how to do in the, in the desert was they learned how to fight. Because if you read about what happened in those 40 years, since the enemies would come and try to attack them. And they didn't know how to fight, but they learned how to fight in the desert. And so they go into this desert, this broken generation that is tired. But they come out of this desert a tested generation. They knew what it was like to live of minimal stuff. They were like the first minimalists. They were just roaming the wilderness, right? Didn't have much. They could only carry what they could, you know, carry with them. But man, when they came out of the desert, this was a generation that knew how to fight. The other thing that you need to know is that the bigger the dream, the longer the preparation. The bigger the dream, the longer the preparation. Some of you got these like big, gigantic dreams. Not applaud that, but just understand that the preparation process is commensurate with the size of your dream. The, the prep, and I think that's, I just got a moment. I think, I think that's why my preparation to open a church was the way that it was. Because I, I always had this really big God dream on the inside of me. And I always knew that God would do something crazy through us. Not, he would not do it because of us, but he would do it through us. No reason, I have, I have absolutely no rationale why. Other than it was just God's good doing. But the preparation was longer because the dream was bigger. So ever, however big your dream is, just understand that your preparation is commensurate with the size of your dream. So go after those big dreams. But just know that the preparation is also going to be big. It's going to cost you something. But how many know that anything worth having is something that shouldn't cost you something? Come on. How many had to work hard for that wife? For how many men had to? I did. Come on. She played hard to get. You know what I mean? She ignored you. She didn't accept the friend request. She didn't let you slide into the DMs, whatever the language was. But how many of you know that if it was worth chasing, it was worth keeping? Yeah, come on. You don't want to marry the first girl that just bats her eyes at you. You want the one that you got to chase, you got to work for. That's the one that's going to keep you happy all your life. I don't even know where that came from. My God. I think I just helped some of the men out in this room. She won't talk to me. Well, get a job. Dress up. Comb your hair. Brush your teeth. Hustle a little bit. Be your best you. Then come back and ask her out on a date. She won't talk to you because you got bad breath. You don't fix yourself up. <laughs> fix yourself, man. Come on. Yeah. You, you don't know how many. Yeah, my wife said, come on. My wife, she, my wife is such a leader. She's got... She's got all these single girls that come to the house that just want her to pour it. I mean, this is just like a normal week at the Herreras. These young ladies just showing up and they're just like asking Joanna for her. And I'm hearing these stories of these dudes, right? They're like, oh, he sent me a DM. A DM? Come on. Work up some courage to meet her in person and talk to her. Shake her hand, invite her out on a date. No? See, that's the problem with this generation. Huh? A date. I just thought I'd slide in her. No, I ain't slide in her DMs. Come on. Come on now. We need this, men, this generation of men to just rise up. We need to bring back chivalry. I really believe that. 
We need to bring back good old fashioned children. And you know what I appreciate? I appreciate all these men that are married that can still keep up. My brother Hennessy came to church today. I said, brother, you're dripping from head to toe, man. His brother, he's got his fit on point. I came up here and the uh, brother Steven said, Pastor, I like your shoes. And I literally said, I'm just trying to keep up with you young guys. I mean, y'all, you guys are fresh. And I'm getting old, so I got to keep up. I'm trying to stay relevant. I still, I still really want to look good for my wife. I do, so, you know. Men, that's a good thing. You should still want to look good for your wife. And same way, women, you should still want to look good for your husband. Why am I going with this? You know, in the month of September, we're actually going to do an entire month on relationships. So you just got a sneak peek of that. I can't wait to talk about relationships. Come on, we got to bring it back. You want to know where I proposed to my wife? On a gondola. And if you got to look it up, shame on you. You are not a romantic. You're all Googling what's a gondola. That's the problem with you. you got no game. This guy singing in Italian behind us as I proposed on a knee. I dropped a knee on a boat in the middle of a gondola through the Coronado case. If you're going to do it, do it right. You know what I'm saying? Come on. I'm way out topic. All right. Last thing that I want you to get, you've got to have posture for the process. You have got to have the right posture for the process. What does that mean? When you know that the desert is a place where your faith is going to grow, you are, going to mature, you are going to mature. God is taking you through this season where you are going to be developed. You need to have the right attitude. That's what I mean by posture. What is your posture like through this season of testing? How's your heart? How's your soul? We have four values as a church. We might grow them, but for now we have four values. Number one, we want you to love God. Number two, we want you to love people. That's really important. Number three, we want you to have a spirit of excellence. And number four, we want you to always choose joy. Say choose joy. Choose joy. Joy is a choice. Happiness is a feeling. And there's a difference between feelings and choices, right? I talked about this a few weeks ago. A feeling. Happiness depends on things that are happening in your life. So when things are good, you're happy. When hubby's bringing home flowers, you're happy. When the kids are bringing home straight A's, you're happy. But do you want to know what joy is? Joy is a choice that when your husband is acting the fool, you still choose joy. When your kids are acting up, you still choose joy. When all hell is breaking through, breaking loose in your life, you still choose joy. It's a posture. It's a choice that you make. It's your heart. It's making a decision that no matter what's going on in my life, I'm going to have a posture of joy and the posture for the process is everything if you are if you are resenting the desert and if you are mad at God because you feel like God is taking too long you are going to abort the process you are going to exit the process premature what happens when a baby is born prematurely they're right away put inside of the intensive care unit and some of you are coming out of that desert premature. And the reason so many people fail is because they go into a position they're not prepared for when they should be in intensive care. They're trying to assume a position of leadership and that position breaks them. So you got to be careful that you don't leave the desert too early because if you come out premature, if you come out premature, then you belong in intensive care. And I've seen so many pastors break. More churches are closing each year than are opening in this country. I don't know if you knew that. More churches close than churches open each year in this country. 
This is why a part of all of our giving goes to planting new churches. Every month, Lighthouse Church sows money into planting new churches because we have got to reverse this thing. This, this, it's a sad day in America when more churches are closing than churches are opening. But the reason more churches are closing than are opening is because too many pastors were not prepared for They were not prepared in the desert. They aborted the process. They left the desert early. They did not have the right posture. So when am I done with the desert? If you go back to James chapter 2 verse 4, it says, But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete. This is the key word right here. This is when you know that you're ready. Lacking nothing. I'm reading from a different translation. Lacking nothing. When you are fully complete, that's when you are ready to move forward. Some of you are wondering, when, when, when are we going to come out of this season? When, when am I going to come out of this desert? But as long as you're lacking something, God's going to keep you there until you no longer lack in that area. For some of you, that's healing in your heart. How long am I going to be here until you can learn to forgive the people that hurt you? How long am I going to be in this desert until you change that posture of bitterness in your life? Until you can forgive your ex? Until you can start treating your children with the love that they need? You will stay in this desert until you lack nothing. I know that's not what we want to hear. I know we wish, I know you want a 10-step plan to get you out of the desert, but there isn't one. There's only one step. And that is when you lack nothing, that's when you move on. You lack nothing, that's when you move on. Think about this for a second. If you get an F, you don't move on, right? How you remember those good old-fashioned pass or test fails? You remember school. You either passed it or you failed it. My, my son, I'm so proud of my son, he's a math quiz really is. I'm not just saying that he's my son. He's really good at math. He's going to be better than me. Um, and I was pretty darn good at math. I had a very, I've been a little pat on my back. I'm very good SAT score on my math. I'll let you know. Don't ask me about English, but my math was good, all right? Um, my son's a math was, and he's going through his multiplications, and I asked him, um, I said, Jaden, how many, how many can you, how many of these, they do during times tables, right? Like, how many can you miss before you go on to the next? He's like, none, Dad. You have to get 100% in order to move on. That's why I was so proud of my baby boy. He's like third in his class, just moving on. But I like those good old-fashioned pass, uh, pass-fail tests. You either pass or you don't. You don't go to the next level unless you pass. That's what, that's what the desert is like. You don't go to the next level until you pass the test. Forty years Israel was in the wilderness until everyone who was not able to go with them died off. That slave-born generation died. The desert-tested generation rose up. And I'm going to give you, you need to give permission to do these three things. You need to give permission to God to work as long as he wants to work, the way that he wants to work, and as deeply as he wants to work. I'll do that real quick. You need to give him permission when you, in your desert, when you are in your desert to work as long as he needs to work, the way that he wants to work, and as deep as he wants to work. Some of you have got some deep stuff in and you've not given God permission to deal with that. I'm challenging you to let God deal with that today. So you got some bitterness, some resentment. Someone hurt you. Someone wronged you. And you're wondering why God won't promote you to the next level. It's because you're lacking something. And my prayer today is that we would lean into this Holy Spirit. And we would give God permission one more time. God, do the work. There's so, there's so many of you. You want to change. But you've not yet told God to go as deep as he wants. God, you, 
You can change me from here up. And God's like, no, 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 I'm trying to get down there. No, no, no. Don't go down there. So many of us are so afraid to expose those things. Listen, if you don't reveal it, God can't heal it. If you do not reveal it, he cannot heal it. You've got to give God permission to work as long as he wants, the way that he wants, and as deep as he wants. Come on, I feel that works for someone in this place. Would you lean in right now? Can you close your eyes? I'm going to take you through prayer. We're getting ready to close out our time. Y'all have been amazing. And I believe God's doing a work right now. I really believe that last part is a word for someone. God's trying to work deeper, but you won't let him. You're not happy with the way that he's working in your life. You've got to let him. Come on, lean in and let's just close our eyes and let's let the Holy Spirit work right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you, Lord God, for how you are working. But God, in this moment, I pray that we would lean in and give you a yes. For some people, we're not talking about a yes to salvation. We've already said yes to salvation. We've already said yes to the free gift of grace, free gift of forgiveness of sins. We've said yes to all of that. But in this moment, we're saying yes, God, for you to work as deep as you want, the way that you want, and forward, however long you want, God. We say yes to your plan. I believe right now, Lord God, you're beginning to take out bitterness. You're beginning to show us some forgiveness issues. It, I believe right now, as you're praying right there, if you would just allow the Spirit to reveal some things to you right now, I believe He's going to show you those areas that you're lacking. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.